Well, good morning, Providence. I'd like to welcome you to our morning service. And I want to say a special thank you to Mountain View Community Church for their generous uh, offer to record our services for us. And they've been doing it now for about three months. I have enjoyed getting to know the, the ministry leaders that uh, do the recording. It's been fun every Thursday getting to see our music team and listening to their practices, and so we really want to thank Mountain View for what they've done. Next week, we will be in the auditorium for in-person worship at 9 and 11, and I'm excited about seeing everybody. We had a prayer meeting Wednesday night that uh, was just a wonderful time. I think everybody that came either through Zoom or in person were truly blessed by being able to pray together. And we, we are just such a blessed people. Then one more thing before I begin my sermon. I do want to say that we are going to have a special business meeting on June 28th to uh, talk and, and hopefully receive congregational approval to get all the equipment necessary to uh, record our services and, and get those online. We'll have temporary ability before then but there are many people who will not be coming to in-person service, and we need to be able to minister to as many people as possible. So we'll be having a meeting to give you information, and then uh, on the 28th, we'll be voting on that. So mark your calendars. Be looking for more information. Today, we are in James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. James 5, 1 to 6. I want to talk about true, uh, true faith and riches. When you read this passage that we'll read in just a moment, the, many people tend to think that James is condemning riches. Uh, many people, when they read this passage, they think that James is saying that it is wrong to be rich. The problem is, if he were actually saying that, he would be con contradicting the rest of Scripture because the Bible says that God gives material wealth, and it's a blessing from him. Furthermore, the Bible also says that it describes heaven as a place of lavish wealth. The Bible teaches that it's not necessarily the riches that matter, but it teaches that the state of a person's heart is revealed by their view of money and possessions. The Bible teaches that if you give yourself to, to money and wealth and luxury and possessions, then you do not possess Christ. After all, it was Jesus himself who said these words. Let me read them for you from Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So what we're going to see today in, is that your view and use of wealth reveals the true state of your heart. We see in this blistering rebuke that James gives to what we can call the wicked wealthy, we'll see that this is the strongest rebuke in the whole book. But before we read the passage, I, wanna, I want us to ask one question together, and that is this. Why did James, in the middle of this passage to believers, give such a strong rebuke? Apparently, the answer is that there were people in the congregations that James was writing to 
who claimed to be Christians. They, per, they professed Christian faith. They said that they believed in Jesus Christ for their salvation, but they were not believers. The most accurate way to be able to sniff out their false profession, apparently, was to see how they used wealth and how they viewed wealth and possessions. This passage also serves as a warning to believers to be wary of the sin of falling prey to pursuing earthly treasures. I want to remind you of Jesus' words. If you remember the the parable of the soils, you had the four different kinds of soils. One was the thorny soil. When the disciples asked Jesus to explain that parable, Jesus explained the thorny soil this way. Listen to it as I read it. He said, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But listen, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Now, what can we learn from this as believers? One of the takeaways that we can take as a believer is this, that nothing is more deadening to our souls and to our spiritual life than falling into the trap of pursuing worldly riches and possessions. It deadens the effectiveness of God's word in our lives. James begins this section with a, with a warning. Let's read verse one together. He says, come now, you rich Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. This is, this is such an abrupt change from the way he was talking. It's, it's as if he's saying, listen up, pay attention, listen to what I'm about to say. Overwhelming trouble is headed your way. Overwhelming destruction is coming your way. And it's a shocking warning accompanying a call to wail and to cry. When he asks them and, and calls for them to wail and cry. It's a call for repentance. He's calling for these professed believers to repent. And there are four sins that he names that need to be repented of, as well as turning to God for their salvation. In verse number two and three, we see the first one. The first sin he calls them to repent of is hoarding wealth. Let's read verses two and three together. Your riches have rotted, Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Now, this is the exact opposite of the Christian ethic of stewardship of money. The Bible teaches that we are to be stewards of what God has provided for us. It's not ours It's his, and he gives it to us to be stewards. As a matter of fact, when you look at Scripture, you see three primary reasons that God gives us wealth and possessions. Number one, to provide for our families. Number two, to provide for the ministry. And number three, to provide for the needs of the poor, for the needy, that we're supposed to sustain the needy. Those are the three primary reasons that God gives us wealth. It's not so that we can live luxurious lifestyles with no worries and no fears and, and, and no cares in this world. God's storehouse never runs empty, and so what he would like for us to do is pass it along, 
pass it on to people in need, pass it on to gospel ministry, further the ministry of the gospel. And when you, when you obey him and you do that with his storehouses that never run out, God will keep on giving it because he never runs out. He, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. These unrighteous rich people, though, were doing the exact opposite. Uh, James says that they were, they were hoarding food and it was rotting. It reminds us of the, the, the parable of the, the, the farmer who, who put up new storehouses to put up all this grain. And the, the, the reason he wanted to do that is so that he could live a life of leisure and luxury and not worrying about the poor. And, and James condemns that and says, you have so much food that it is rotting. They hoarded their garments. And he says that their garments are, are moth-eaten. Literally, he's telling them, look, y'all are fools because you're hoarding these garments, these heirlooms that you want to pass down to your children, and they're nothing more than moth food. Have you ever thought of your clothes that way? James tells them that's exactly what their clothing is. And then he tells them, you're storing up gold and silver, and that's simply going to corrode and rust and, 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 and disappear. And what he's telling them is this, to focus on earthly treasure is foolish because it does nothing to commend you to God in eternity. It's going to burn up. Everything you work for in this life is going to be gone if all you work for is earthly possessions and earthly treasures. God has no sentimentality whatsoever. Second Peter chapter number two says, or Second Peter says that in the end, God will destroy the earth and it will be melted in a fervent heat. So that Corvette that I desire every time I drive by the car dealership and see a Corvette will, will melt. Uh, for you Mustang people, they will melt even quicker. Corvettes are made out of fiberglass. Just want to throw that in there. But James says to the unrighteous rich that amassing wealth will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Wealth, listen, wealth is to be enjoyed as a blessing from God and it's to be used to fulfill his will in meeting needs and advancing the gospel. So if you have wealth, do you enjoy it? Yes, but you don't make it the be-all and end-all. Rather, you enjoy it and, and pass it along in gospel ministry and meeting the needs of, of those who are less fortunate. And so James indicts them, first of all, because they hoarded wealth. Number two, he indicts them because they gained wealth by cheating others. Let's look at look, verse number four together. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. The wicked rich were not only sinfully in, in hoarding up their wealth, they also acquired it sinfully. They acquired their wealth by withholding payment to those who deserved it. In the economy of the day, the rich people, rich farmers would hire day laborers to go out every day and, and work in their fields. At the end of the day, they gave them their money. They were able to feed their families and provide for their households. And James says that they, they were not doing that. They were, instead of giving them a fair wage, 
to those who, who worked in their fields, they cheated them. And one sign of the selfish rich is they're reluctant to pay their bills to those who, to whom they owe. Now, we're very familiar with this today. We see it time and again in our society. Let me just give you a few examples. Uh, one example is over the last few years, here's a couple examples, the, the CEO of, of Hewlett-Packard Company received a $24 million bonus the same year that he slashed 6,400 jobs. The CEO of Johnson & Johnson Company received $25.6 million the same year that he cut 9,000 jobs. And the topper, the, the one that tops all of these, is that the CEO of Shearing Plow Company, based in Memphis, Tennessee, received $33 million at the same year that he laid off 16,000 workers. That's, that's the, 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 the basically this principle playing out in real life. James says that the painful cries of those who are robbed and defrauded, these labors have reached the ears of God and they would echo there until he acted in righteous judgment. And a frightening judgment awaits those who unjustly hoard wealth and rob their workers of the, of the wages that they are due. Their victims cry out to God. They cry out to justice. They cry out to the righteous judge, and he will not disappoint them. The wicked rich hoarded wealth that they gained by cheating others. And there's a third indictment that, um, that James makes against them, and that is this. Their wealth funded a lavish lifestyle. Let's look at verse number five together. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. The, the wealthy wicked, they live in the lap of luxury, indulging in pleasures, fattening themselves, not just their bellies, but their hearts. And, and James is, is really, he's painting a picture of this. And this is something that we must understand. He's painting a picture of someone trying to satisfy the deepest longings of life by living the playboy lifestyle. God has designed us to have deep longings that only can be satisfied in him. And these rich, wicked people are living lavish lifestyles thinking that's going to help their longings. And in a vain attempt to satisfy their insatiable desire, they live a life without self-denial and life goes out of control in every area and a lot of times they destroy themselves. Now we've seen this, all of this play out in living color in our, in our nation, in our world today. All we have to do is look around the world at the world's dictators, right? We like to point fingers at these kind of people. Probably the most famous one right now is Kim Jong-un. Kim Jong-un reportedly spent several hundred thousand dollars last year on expensive wine and spirits. And while he tips the scales at over 300 pounds, his subjects struggle to survive. They're allowed a little over 300, or not even 300 grams of grain every day while he hoards wine and alcohol and, and lives on crabs and, and lobster and eats shark fin and, and all these different things, his subjects are literally starving in the streets. Syrian President Bashir al-Assad 
owns between 65 and 70% of the assets of his company or country. And of course, we know the name Robert Mugabe, don't we? Uh, and Hazi Mubarak, and the most notorious of them all, who's no longer on earth, that is Saddam Hussein, and all these dictators lived posh lifestyles, over-the-top lavish lifestyles, while their subjects were very poor and had barely enough to survive on, if they could even survive at all. These are the extreme examples of that sort of thing that we see played out day by day, even in our own country. Like a pig fattened for slaughter, these wealthy don't even know that they selfishly gorge on the pleasures of life. They are eating and drinking judgment upon themselves. James uses vivid language as, as he depicts a self-indulgent hoarder is a fattened calf headed for the slaughterhouse of divine judgment. And apart from saving faith in Jesus Christ, that is the reality that waits anybody who hoards and is selfish and refuses to pay what is owed and lives all for self. The final indictment, the final sin that he condemns them for is found in verse number six. And he says this, he says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. The, the fourth indictment is that they are even willing to kill to maintain their lifestyle. Now, there's a lot of debate about this. Most, most scholars believe that when James says this, he's actually speaking of their killing judicially in court. You're willing to go to court and murder somebody else in a court decision in order to maintain your lavish lifestyle. We've seen that as well, haven't we? The people who are willing to, to have a, an army of attorneys in order to get what they want to take from the poor. And James lays out these four indictments. And if James um, lays this out in, in vivid color so that he is speaking to these, these unrighteous rich people, these, these people who do not know Jesus Christ but claim to know Jesus, and, and lays it right out before him. And if, if he illustrates an example of what to avoid, Paul illustrates an example of how we are to move forward. In, in 1 Timothy chapter number 6, his letter to Timothy gives us at least two principles that we can follow when it comes to this matter of riches. Number one, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says that God's concern is not with actual wealth because wealth is neutral. His concern is actually on our attitude towards wealth. God urges his people to be content with whatever God has given them rather than longing to be rich. The second principle that we see is that God is not against the wealthy, but he's against their misguided priorities. In According to 1 Timothy 6.18, the wealthy have special obligations. And this is what he says. He says, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. If you have wealth today, and I'll, I dare say that everybody who's listening to my voice has wealth. They're wealthy today. God is enjoining us through Paul, the apostle, to be rich in good works, to be generous and be willing to give 
to those who are around us. And God blesses us for the purpose of blessing others and furthering the ministry, not for the purpose of satisfying our own uh, desires for a luxurious lifestyle. I want to close in the next few minutes by just asking this question. How do we react to what we just heard? My feeling, if I can use that term, is that most of the people I'm speaking to are believers. And so I want to give three reactions to this. The first common reaction that I can think of is going to be somebody who hears this and responds with praise. Because you, you hear the words of James and you say, praise God, my eyes are focused on the kingdom of God, on his righteousness. God gives to me and I give generously to others and I love the fact that God allows me to give to his ministry, provide for my family and give to the needy and money is not my God, God is my God and what I would tell you to do is right here, right now, Praise the Lord that God has saved you, that he's changed your life and made you like him. There might be a second reaction, though, and that is somebody who says, you know, I once had a fire for spiritual things. I, I love the things of the Lord. I love reading the Bible, but things have gotten dry in my spiritual life. I, I don't have the joy that I used to have in worship services. God is not as exciting as he once was. And maybe you feel that your spiritual life is dull and dry. And you're asking yourself, why am I not excited about spiritual things? And why am I not following the Lord like I used to? Well, it may be, dear believer, that you are in a temporary period of life where your mind is occupied by temporal earthly things and not occupied by the Lord. Remember the, the words of Jesus I read earlier. If the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches are in your life and in the focus of your life right now, it is choking out the word of God and there's no way for you to feel spiritual life. There's no way for you to, to have that spiritual joy. And by the way, let me say this. I may be speaking to people who have lost their jobs due to the coronavirus pandemic. Can I tell you this? The same applies to you. You don't have to be rich for this. God promises that he will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. And if you're focused, you're worried about tomorrow, and you're anxious about tomorrow, that is the same as the cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches in your life. And it's robbing the word of God, the power of the word of God from your heart. And so what I would ask you to do is to... Um, Take time right now to pray and to confess to God that you have temporarily allowed good things in this life to choke out your spiritual life. And then repent. What do I mean by that? Repent means to change direction, to change your mind, to commit yourself anew to following God, to having times of prayer and Bible reading, listening to scripture, meditating on God's word throughout the day and thanking him for his goodness and then thank the Lord for a special grace in your life that he has at this point brought your heart to see what's going on in your spiritual life and just praise him and thank him for it. But I might be talking to a third person here today, the third group, and that is this. You're just going through the motions. 
you know that going to a worship service is the right thing to do. You, but it's not relevant to you. It's not as important to you as, say, uh, getting ahead in this life. The earthly pursuits that you're involved in. There are so many other exciting things that you would like to be involved in and you are involved in that going to church is just an obligation. Worshiping with the saints is an obligation. The book of Amos talks about that. Those who, who say, when is the Sabbath going to be over so I can get back out into the field so I can begin building my business and all those sorts of things. And if that is you, if you get most excited about material gain, getting ahead on the job, finding that uh, investment, advancing your career while you outwardly profess Jesus Christ, and the reality is that your heart does not possess Christ, but rather your heart is captivated by the riches of this world, then the kindest truth that I can tell you is this. There is terrible misery awaiting you if you don't repent. James says it when he says, you have fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. Self-indulgent hoarders are like fatted calves headed for the slaughterhouse a divine judgment. This is a terrifying reality of God's judgment. Thankfully, God has made a way so that you do not have to face that. I would ask that you follow that way, that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that you repent of your sin, and that you trust in him and publicly profess Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you will do that, God will give you life abundantly, and he will be your most treasured possession, and you will not have to face that impending doom. Rather, you will hear the words of Jesus Christ saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'm, you've done these in this life, and I'm going to give you more for all of eternity. And you're going to enter a place of eternal joy. Jesus talked about treasure in, in Matthew chapter number six. And he said that the heart is either following God or following earthly treasures. And I want to leave you with the words of Jesus Christ to think about because they're so blessed. Listen to what he says in this encouragement. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in which in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. And then he closes with this. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. May the Lord fill our church with people that not only profess to serve Jesus Christ, but they treasure him in their hearts. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the words of James. They are quite harsh words, 
They're quite sobering words. They are um, words that uh, cause us to sit back and to think seriously about our Christian life. I pray that you will uh, give joy to the hearts of the ones who right now are saying, bless God, you are my treasure. I ask that you will grant repentance to those Christians who realize right now that they have allowed their minds to get preoccupied with earthly things and they're turning to you once again afresh and anew. And then, Lord, to the ones who profess but have never possessed, I pray that today will be their day of salvation. We love you, Lord. We love the study of James. We thank you for your word and, and how great it is. May we love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our might. In Christ's name, amen.